Welcome to the Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim. My name is Matt, and joining me in the co-pilot seat is Pete. Hello, the Pete. What up, all my Mandos and Mandats? The Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek dons our helmets for Chapter 13, The Jedi. Pete, our podcast starts with some sad news today, noting the passing of David Prowse, your body inside the Darth Vader uh, outfit there for the uh, for the main Star Wars movies, and uh, certainly him well remembered for his uh, for his imposing frame, for his enthusiasm for Star Wars, and uh, no joke, uh, the fact that he played in Britain, uh, Green Cross Code Man, promoting uh, road safety, uh, which earned him an MBE award. That's your uh, uh, member of the most excellent order of the British Empire. That I was unaware of until reading the news this morning. Uh, I was in his presence for sure at least once, actually before the the great Comic-Con renaissance that we're in. Uh, 1998, St. Mark's Church in uh, Manhattan was a relatively small Comic-Con. It was a room like off the bottom of the basement. Hey, the British man who plays uh, Darth Vader in the suit is in there and gave a gave a talk i mean he passed away at 85 so you know he was in his late 60s at that point he was having problems with his legs um was a was a bodybuilder talked a little bit about that i seem to have the memory from then that he was complaining about the james earl jones um voiceover i know that became more of a thing for him a little later in his life. Obviously not really acceptable to trash the most iconic voice ever to come out of uh, the most iconic physical character ever. Um, but that is what it is. And it's part and parcel of his, his legacy, but the, the body, the performance of, most of Darth Vader you've ever seen, obviously, uh, Rogue One and uh, the end of Revenge of the Sith aside, uh, dead today at 85. Yes, he a veteran, not just of the Star Wars films, but uh, some Hammer Horror stuff in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, Clockwork Orange, and um, yeah, certainly... His uh, somewhat controversial views on why James Earl Jones uh, was picked aside, I, I think we can all agree. Um, if you've heard the late David Prowse speak with a slightly higher voice and a thick accent, um, James Earl Jones definitely the, the better choice, but uh, David Prowse having left an indelible mark on cinema. One of the most awkward things of that uh, meeting in that tiny room was uh, fans serenading him with the Imperial March when he came into the room. And, you know, that was kind of cringy. <laughs> um, but maybe I hadn't made peace with my inner geek at 21, 22 years old at that point. But yeah, I, I my skin actually crawls remembering that. <laughs> Well, he was offered the opportunity, he obviously, of, of his 
six foot six inch height, was offered uh, to audition for Darth Vader and Chewbacca, and he chose the Darth Vader. He chose to audition for Darth Vader because, quote, you always remember the bad guys. So certainly on this day, uh, we remember him and mourn his passing. With that, it's time to hit the hunt. A gong sounds as people clamor in a walled city set with smokestacks in the distance. Uh, citizens crowd into homes as guards head to the gate. From the front wall, blaster fire is visible uh, to a human male played by Michael Bean in the scorched forest below. Guards run as a hooded figure ignites two white lightsabers and makes short work of them hiding behind a tree. The female Togruta uses the force to make a sound in the distance to distract her enemy and then slashes through a tree, force pushing the log at a scout guard before extinguishing her lightsabers. This opening, uh, encapsulates something that i will i will state now kind of as a catch-all for the entire episode this this is an episode that needed to be directed by dave filoni which it was uh not just because of his uh creation and link to the character of ahsoka tano but this is perhaps the most um visually stimulating the most animated in in that kind of you know classic ink or computer sense the most animated episode of the series her introduction here perfect with the turn of her head the way the white lightsabers light her and so forth time and time again in this episode dave filoni brings that visual aesthetic uh in a way that all the other storied directors for this show perhaps have not uh he's working with the color palette the kind of green yellow foul color palette and how the white pushes that away um the the fog outside the 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 tree line that allows her to disappear and reappear and whatnot there's a visual aesthetic here that is just amazing and again i could go scene by scene to discuss that and i might i might revisit it at various points but the entire watching of this episode and rewatching this episode, yes, there's the fan stuff, and yes, there's the power that Ahsoka represents uh, on, on both sides of the camera or in their world and in our world and all of that. We'll dig into it. But it's, again, in my mind, it's all under the umbrella of this this epic live-action animation direction that Dave Filoni brings. In a script written by himself as well, and I think that makes an enormous difference here. On the wall, a woman appears with a staff. The guards have lost their target in the woods, but before they can draw her out, she finds them through the fog and ash, taking them out before the magistrate on the wall demands she, the Jedi, show herself. She ignites her sabers, and we get Rosario Dawson's Ahsoka Tano complete with her theme from the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. The magistrate has been expecting her, and Ahsoka says she should know what she wants. The magistrate tells her she will learn nothing from her, but Ahsoka tells her she won't give her that choice. A motion to two droids there, 
escorting a prisoner to the platform, and the magistrate asks how many lives the knowledge she possesses is worth. One, ten, one hundred, because they mean nothing to her. Because of the Jedi, she says, they will suffer. But Ahsoka points out they already suffer under her rule, and she tells her to surrender or face the consequences and gives her a day to decide before vanishing into the mist. The human male tells her they'll be ready when she returns, and she orders the citizen caged. Indeed, that's what despots do. Uh, I'll mention Pete. I don't know that Michael Bean's character of Lang gets named within the body of the episode, but that he indeed, does not. That indeed his name. Uh, we get the title card, the Jedi, uh, rather unambiguously. Pete fears that this would just be another side quest that didn't actually involve Ahsoka Tano. Hopefully, the fears of the faux fans have been have been been addressed here by the title by the appearance of ahsoka uh, before the title card uh we have mando in the ship approaching uh the planet corvus telling the child to get to his seat Uh, it takes two requests slash paternal like orders even as the child eyes that iconic round knob uh starting to undo it with the force uh such as his is his interest in the knob uh, the Razor Crest lands, flying over the city, seen by the guards. Um, Mando and the child make their way to approach the city gate, and Mando presents himself as a bounty hunter looking for a pause from work for a few days, <laughs> um, and ultimately starts walking down the heavily guarded main street, Pete, where the vendors don't even dare to talk to him. Yeah, they ghost right away, clearly terrified of interaction with outsiders here uh there's a man speaking to two children in an alleyway who even begs him not to talk to them it's then the two guards come up to mando and tell him that the magistrate wants a word should also be noted matt that as he walked down the the main alley there uh, there was a smelter droid. Uh, he, one of the type 88, was the droid uh, glimpsed in Jabba's palace, the one who uh, branded um, other droids, didn't quite get to R2 and to C3PO. Uh, oh, smelter droids, how you take us back. Um, the scout guards, as they are called in the subtitles, uh, say that the magistrate wants to see Mando. Uh, they make their way to uh, what I've seen many people refer to as the inner gate. So we have the outer gate, kind of main street, then the inner gate. Uh, right outside the inner gate, it again, we return to Filoni's direction here. There's a wide shot that shows the prisoners strung up in shock cages, but I don't think that it registers until one of them moves a bit, and then there's the animated you know, white electricity of the shock, and you go, oh my goodness, these three people were here, and I kind of didn't even see it. Again, Pete, putting people up in cages, it's what despots do. Pete, take us to the inner courtyard. Lush, a koi pond. I got to know, and we found out um, this week, at least indirectly, that there's supposed to be a second season of the uh, Disney Gallery for Mandalorian with a possible Christmas Day release. 
I gotta know... Or at least the start of that season. Yeah. I gotta know how they filmed this, if this was filmed in the volume, um, with the with the koi pond. Um, you know, if they went to a, a physical location, you know, the same with some of the, uh, you know, aquatic scenes that they did for the third episode on, uh, on Trask, because this is tremendous if they're doing it it's tremendous anyway if they're doing this inside a physical space even more so uh but this uh magistrate who's actually matt played by bruce lee's goddaughter okay if you can believe that calls mando forward here with the proposition and immediately he's up front because that's the characterization his price is high but the target is priceless a jedi placed her which we know he's just finding out uh she wants him to kill her uh something that he's well suited for the mandalorians being the ancestral enemy of the jedi um and the droid brings forward her spear which he taps against his armor that's the old i put the the gold to my teeth and can tell if it's gold for the Star Wars universe with Beskar, uh, pure Beskar. And it's not as if Pedro Pascal has any experience with a spear whatsoever. Go look at all the Game of Thrones videos of him practicing without his helmet and what that led to. Ouch. Uh, but he's told here, kill the Jedi and it's his. So the complaints of go on a side quest, Matt, you know, because... People don't understand also that monomyth <laughs> quests um, that he indirectly gets the uh, ability to locate this Jedi he's been told about from uh, Bogotan. And of course, this whole situation presented with the air of a deal of course it'll be hammered home later that there is no deal it's only an implied one uh so on second view the things that he's saying the price is high where's the jedi these all suggest that he has accepted uh the terms here accepted the job but of course uh, that that not the case uh he gets walked back out to the outer gate by lang um who asks about the child uh he's told that it's for good luck and lang says that he will need luck with that, we have Mando making his way through the charred landscape. Pete, whole portions of this episode without dialogue, not to the degree of the uh, the um, the search for the egg in episode three, I believe it was, chapter Two. three. Two, okay. Two. Um, but on rewatch, especially as I was taking my notes, it was like, and what goes on for the next 45 seconds? <laughs> it's not boring. It's not unengaging, no. but it's... Mando makes his way through the landscape and again I think that's part of the the magic of the direction of this episode that it's not quite as in your face as uh the search for uh Sukasuka in terms of oh this is an artful representation where there is no dialogue it's just lengthy stretches where he's walking along the charred landscape until he attacks or rather until he is attacked by Ahsoka they duel a bit before that though did you see it did you see in the tree um, I guess not. What was in the tree? The owl, the the moray, or or morai, M O R A I. This uh, 
holdover from the Clone Wars and Rebels. This is a owl type creature that's uh, tail kind of wraps around the limb and you can actually see the head move so you can tell what it is. Uh, there was a whole subplot in uh, Rebels. I'm sorry, Rebels in Clone Wars. And then they reference it in Rebels with the the daughter of the Force being embodied in that. So again, Filoni referencing what he's done in the past. And I think that's a great example. On the one hand, it's like, why isn't Dave Filoni doing more in, in more in Star Wars, his his movie, his own TV show, you know, and so forth? I know he obviously has in the past, but um, that's all great. And the ability to go back and dig deeper into Clone Wars and Rebels exists wonderfully. Um, I think there's an argument to be made that there's a certain tension between John Favreau wants to do a rather limited scope uh, Star Wars story that's completely, you know, completely the way John Favreau wants to do it, where it's got references to depth, references to mythology, but not seeped in it. Whereas Filoni, his go-to is to be deep in in all the mythology and what's the product in between, something that is both very accessible to new audiences and also has that that depth to it, but. But Pete, take us into the attack by Ahsoka. Yeah, the lightsabers come from above, uh, almost like she changed form out of the uh, Morai, but we know that to not be the case. Um, And uh, Beskar, we've been told of its value. We see even more here that it blocks lightsabers. Uh, Mando activates his flamethrower and Ahsoka flips back from that her cloak now off uh he puts the grappling rope around her but great uh action and direction here that she jumps over a tree (laughs) limb and pulls him up he cuts himself off uh that and then uh to uh you know cease the fight to get her to stop because it's you know he's he's outgunned matt uh with the pistol in one hand and another hand up ahsoka tano bo katan sent me we need to talk yes the invocation there of bo katan's name um and immediately that changes the 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 tenor of the scene uh, ahsoka now looking over towards the child wondering if uh, mando was sent to talk about the child and obviously her interest great there we have the passage of time and visually it seems later will be confirmed but it seems that she's communing with the child via their minds uh and then pete just an info dump in the best sense possible she reveals that the child's name is grogu he was raised in the jedi temple on coruscant then was hidden away they talk about his powers how it's part of the force she defines the force uh, which, again, on the one hand, maybe is that too much? It is if you're a hardcore Star Wars fan. If this is your entry point where you kind of know, like, there's something with the Force and Jedi wizards and whatnot, just to have her say word for word what was said back in 1977 or, or very close to it to explain and the I nature of the Force. I think that's important that, like a prayer, if you will, it maintains that invocation. If it would have been the deep, well, let me tell you about your M count, and this and that, or even the newer notion that anyone might 
yield it with enough of a of an attempt uh as has been established more recently but yeah in in the best that it is nearly word for word you know this energy field connects everything uh all that that is familiar and and necessary here yes though mando has been told may the force be with you and he's actually told it to others you know the x-wing cops etc etc okay and it's out there in the universe you know that a jedi defeated darth vader um it's still a large enough universe where we need to make this necessary explanation in a story about this child grogu more on the name in a little bit um but the the reactions and again the direction here you know the the moon in the background the the looks between grogu and ahsoka her mannerisms how rosario dawson is directed to perform the cartoon character from everything to stuffing her hands under her cloak to in a couple moments placing her arm on a on a ledge nearby and leaning up against it the subtlety of this episode cannot be understated yeah, even down to the voice. I don't think that Rosario the, Dawson the is cadence. doing. Yeah, I don't think that she's doing an Ashley Eckstein no. impersonation. But I think that just some of what Rosario Dawson does with vowel sounds, especially the A, you think of that kind of very Ahsoka cartoon, you know, kind of like Anakin, kind of kind of up there as opposed to a- yeah. Anakin. I don't know, uh, Pete. I'm not a voice actor for a reason, but. There's, there's but you could a... be Matt. You could be of of the two of us. You're the guy <laughs> with the voice. Well, thank you. But I mean, I think that she has done a very. Uh, there's been a very conscientious job undertaken by her, and I'm sure Filoni played a role as well. To to not again to not turn it into an impersonation, but to find the best Rosario Dawson performance of the character, irrespective of the fact that that you know it comes with a decade of Ashley Eckstein's voice work. There had been some discussion and waiting to hear her speak in the role that Ashley Eckstein's voice might come out. In which case that begs the question, well, why did you cast Rosario Dawson? There's been pushback as well that this is not Ashley Eckstein. Well, Ashley Eckstein does the majority of her work in voiceover and yes, for conventions she has donned the outfit but it's a really big ask for somebody who originates a role in voice for animation to carry that off physically and maybe there's a way it would have been done but you know even prior to what i suspect was a false campaign of dawson i really want to play ahsoka I think I'd already gotten the role at that point, and it was kind of like, this will trick them. (laughs) Um, You know, this is the best of all worlds. And to repeatedly read Friday, Saturday, we're recording on Sunday now, this weekend, people complaining about it when Rosario Dawson is written as Ahsoka by Dave Filoni, the man who created the character, and directed 
by Dave Filoni, who created the character. Please stop talking. <laughs> well, back to the episode proper mando notes that his task was to bring uh the child grogu to a jedi um ahsoka says that there are no more jedi or certainly there's no more jedi order anymore on uh, mando's reply excellently written um the empire fell yet it persists so the no the notion that both the empire and the jedi still do continue time passes again when ahsoka is testing the child she force sends him a rock and he he's unable unwilling uninterested to send it back uh, but with mando there is a connection and he takes out that uh, that that lever knob and the child is willing to use the force to to pull it away from mando zips this... it away really <laughs> oh absolutely they're playing catch in the backyard here matt <laughs> this shows the child's feelings for mando and for ahsoka rogu, rogu. indeed rogu. uh she, she knows the price for a jedi that has too many attachments there pete the clone you know her time in the clone wars you know referenced in a sentence uh and ultimately for her the fact that this child the fact that grogu is is attached to mando uh is one attachment too many and uh, and from that, she's ready to walk away from the situation and not train him. To reference Anakin here without naming him, again, properly reserved, she's seen what can happen to a Jedi Knight to the best of us. And you, you think of the pathos that Ahsoka Tano has gone through, you know, resonance of this later in the episode whatever other Jedi might be out there. And this is someone who left the Jedi order. Okay. Which may or may not be clear to listeners who haven't watched uh, clone wars or rebels. And then to still be considered a Jedi, it's kind of like, well, you have lightsabers and you are a Jedi. I mean, trained as a youngling, Matt, too, this a character in 2008 showing up in the Clone Wars released theatrically uh, film, essentially a three-episode pilot for that series, initially derided. Oh, my God, they gave Anakin a Padawan we've never heard of. This is not George's uh, Wars, despite the fact that that uh it was <laughs> this past week um patrick willems had a youtube video about um essentially arguing against r-rated comic book movies uh for the sake of having r-rated comic book movies uh and his central thesis was if that becomes the main forum for these characters to exist then you are turning off young people from from connecting with these characters and that's going to do that has always been the wellspring of these comics characters is that young people find them in you know the widely accessible comics or in the cartoon or in the you know in in the pg rated tv show or that sort of thing and how how you're, you're cutting your nose off to spite your face part of what star wars has always done so well is to say um and i think it's just built into the dna of the property what can we do to appeal to young people um sometimes it works 
long term, like Ahsoka. I think that she's meant to be tonally in the Clone Wars movie. I think she's meant to be a little jarring um, because everybody else is a major Star Wars character, one of which will become Darth Vader, uh, and it's a war, you know. And, and she she's meant to be that release valve to to slightly older eyes. I think to younger eyes she's like them she's a kid and an adventure um and pretty darn successful in fighting the droids and whatnot um sometimes you have your um you know some of your uh misa jar jar binks folks that kids love and then you grow up and realize oh my goodness what a what a baby i was um (laughs) but star wars star wars always keeps it fresh you know this is how many people die in this episode it's probably in the neighborhood of 20 um but if but it's a pg thing because they're all masked guys with no blood or we get our standard you know the two assassin droids that's when you get head chopped off you know and sparks not blood going everywhere you know that that sort of thing so i mean the fact that people have been able to grow up with ahsoka that's the success of star wars where some of these other properties um teeter on being less at the forefront you know i mean Friday, Pete, the, there were three things trending on Twitter. Star Wars, The Mandalorian, and Grogu. It's working. All of this is working as both an entry point and a point of, of satisfaction for the long-term audience. You can't help but think they looked at the slate and the episodes and said, all right, Black Friday, we'll, we'll drop the, the A-bomb, as it were, Matt, the, the Ahsoka bomb. You know, we had exhausted all the footage from trailers as of the end of the fourth episode. So, like, what was going to happen in these other ones? And you consider what what has happened this season? Okay, uh, we saw the return of Boba Fett. Uh, they brought in Bo-Katan uh, and, and Katie Sackoff. No, you know super duper like blindside of a surprise the hints were out there but you know nonetheless welcome okay overly so all right then last week you get the return of our friends from the first season you get more of a direct link in terms of what was going on with the child and this nefarious plan that uh um, moff gideon has that involves dark troopers and now you have Ahsoka. I mean, what's going to happen in these remaining three episodes? Does does Luke show up at the end? Does some other Jedi that's possibly been referenced? So we're going to examine all the clues possibly there. And then the, the, the real blind side of this episode and the mention of a name. But all this stuff, the name of the child, um, something that actually had been out there. There was a leak. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but that he is not going to be trained, that he had been trained. The takeaway here from all these complications, Mando offers a deal. He will help Ahsoka with the magistrate if she will help make sure that Grogu is trained. Uh, They have a little bit of a walk and talk, and it's revealed that the magistrate is Morgan Elsbeth, someone who plunders worlds to help build the Imperial Starfleet, what Further proof do you need than this plundered world, the the ashen trees, etc. Starfleet. There's that too. Um, it'll it'll take a lot of work 
to successfully attack the Magistrate, uh, but a Mandalorian and a Jedi, they'll never see it coming. With that, we cut to the Outer Gate, where Ahsoka attacks savagely so. Uh, again, great use of, I'm sure it's a combination of Rosario Dawson and stunt actors. Uh, in fact, the rapid way in which she is attacking, I mean, it's just, it's it's phenomenal. It's it's great stunt work there, or fight choreography if it is, uh, if it is uh, Rosario Dawson herself. I like the ending flourish there that the the last guy there on the gate uh gets sliced through of course we don't see that because we get the reverse uh where she also has sliced through the warning bell which clung clongs down uh ultimately from all that action i think feloni here uh, and star wars in general but feloni um very influenced by japanese cinema here all the action then quiet at the one end of main street is ahsoka at the other the magistrate Lang and the guards, some of which humanoid, two of which are the assassin droids. Uh, and Ahsoka approaches, again, lack of dialogue here, dropping a piece of Mando's armor, suggesting that he's dead. Uh, and with that, a firefight starts, and she ultimately draws away many of the guards and Lang, which allows the magistrate to step away, ordering that the prisoners hung up in cages, then all the townsfolk be killed. From the set decoration to the the nods to uh, Kurosawa, you know the gong, the costuming, the uh, re- reminiscent of Asian cultures, uh, you know style that that goes on here. You know, love that she slices the gong into that it falls. And then it rolls off the the ledge, the Western aesthetic of the main drag there, and you know the the gunfighter duel, which will happen simultaneously in in two spots between the the inner courtyard and the the sanctum behind it. Um, and then Matt, much like uh, you know Quentin Tarantino, with his homage with kill bill uh you know where's your master uh everything going on here it it's the best of all worlds um the the hunter killer droids interesting that michael bain is now fighting alongside them <laughs> okay uh the hks and even the the Lothcat down the uh alley there we've seen one before um in bryce dallas howard's uh first episode uh that she directed back in season one uh and now to see one here a couple times furthering feloni's uh influence but you know a lot of people have pointed as the shot of the episode ahsoka sneaking up in an alleyway behind a couple of the scout guards and the lightsaber igniting horizontally before she takes them out and you don't see it but lang hears it um i mean it is visual poetry it absolutely is and while all that is going on with Ahsoka. We have Mando jetting in to save the uh, the caged prisoners. Um, the uh, we, we have him uh, also kind of getting those caged prisoners back to the townspeople. A lot of intercutting between the two 
here, Mando and Ahsoka, but ultimately Mando facing Lang, and Lang notes essentially that they're both just working for different bosses. Uh, with that, Ahsoka makes her way into the inner courtyard, where the magistrate waits with the Beskar staff. Of course, we've seen uh, already how Beskar uh, can repel the lightsaber blade. Uh, both drop their cloaks and prepare to fight. Their battle begins slow at first, then moving faster and faster. And then we start a different intercutting. We go to Lang and Mando outside that inner gate, overhearing it. Lang gamely noting that either side might win. However, for Lang, there's no quarrel between these two men. Uh, indeed, even as Ahsoka loses one lightsaber into the water and holds the remaining one at that backward angle that is so iconic from, from the Clone Wars. And uh, we see Lang lowering his shotgun, um, especially after the clang of the spear is heard, suggesting that the dropped staff shows that Mando's side has won. And just with that, with the, with the success of Mando taking his hand away from his holster, Lang reaches for his hidden blaster, and Mando, fast on the draw, downs him. And, uh, and we have a moment of success, certainly. What is Kyle Reese without a shotgun, Matt? Well, here, here he is no more. Um, we have the, 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 the townsfolk man come out. He sees that final assassin droid. You know, I think in all of the mix here, we were meant to keep track of the idea that there were two assassin droids, Slice, no one assassin droid still on the, the table, um, on the story table, that is to say. That final assassin droid comes out. Mando quick downs him as well. Then inside the courtyard, Pete, a moment I did not see coming. Uh, Ahsoka wants to know where the magistrate's master is. Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? And that's certainly an electric question, an electric moment there. The the gasp that I let out at 3 o'clock in the morning <laughs> on Black Friday. Um, yeah, so Grand Admiral Thrawn never having appeared in live action and immediately all the supposition of will we get him this season who will play him etc cetera, etc cetera. you know the ahsoka thing again being out there this not being out there at all and again dipping into rebels where um grand admiral thawn was re-canonized having once been you know brought into being in the um the the zon books the timothy zon trilogy in the early 90s that kind of brought star wars out of its fallow period uh with with that trilogy of books and there's a a current series of books uh zon has written about him but for filoni to reach in with rebels in the last two seasons and bring him in and the layering that went on there on top of what we already knew from the books which had been pushed to the legends categorization um you know all the speculation missed this so again it just makes you wonder and makes your mind whirl what these last couple episodes could contain um, there is a wipe. We never find out the fate of the magistrate, which is strange. I mean, it's assumed she met her fate, but, but never laid out. 
Um, there are flags and people celebrating inside, and that same elderly uh, Asian man is made the magistrate. It's here that Ahsoka delivers payment, but again, Mandalorian, fortright as he is, says he can't accept. He didn't finish the job, but she maintains that it belongs with a Mandalorian. And then, Matt, there are moments of this show, and we will talk in the next segment about where and what it should be and where it goes. But this invocation here, where's your your little friend, I'll go get him, that this was going to be a send-off was heartbreaking. Oh, yeah, and I think it was the first time in the episode that I considered that as a possibility. Yes, there's been this bring him back to his own kind, bring him to the wizards known as Jedi, and all of that. But the notion of separating these two uh, only seemed possible at this point. It certainly is aided by the the camera work and just the the, the you know little Grogu in the uh, you know in in the the hanging knapsack here and, and hammock yeah the hammock and snoozing and Mando waking him up in order to say goodbye. I mean, it's all just it's all played in the moment, even though. Obviously, the, the separation is not about to occur. And there's um, a passage of time from, you know, rocking gently the hammock after he's told him it is time to say goodbye to him sitting later. There's a wipe with him on his lap and then reminiscent of getting the the diaper bag and and all the other uh, things that go with the child. You know, I'm, I'm sure his bowl is in there and <laughs> he is both pet and child and, and friend. This absolutely grabbed my heart. Like, can he leave the show? Well, as Ahsoka turns up, uh, the answer is no. She says that she cannot train him. Um, she may have broken the promise, although she too was an, was in an implied a promise, just as Mando had the implied agreement with the Magistrate. Uh, she does give Mando a possibility, though. On the planet Tython, there's a ruined Jedi temple. Grogu can be placed on the Seeing Stone at the top of the mountain. He may reach out, and the Jedi uh, may hear the call and go find him. Uh, but of course, there aren't many Jedi left. Uh, and as Mando leaves, the camera stays. Dave Filoni's camera stays with Ahsoka as she smiles up at the leaving ship uh, and then heads back to town. The glow on her face here, very reminiscent. Homage to Empire Strikes Back as Luke lifts off from Dagobah on uh, Yoda and uh, the ghost of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, but here one little Jedi in the razor crest Mando and Ahsoka down on the ground. And it's very clear. And the, uh, art credits only further reinforce this. This episode could only be directed by Dave Filoni. Let's chase down some theories. Pete, much like the discussion had on our Star Trek Discovery 
uh, podcast, looking at the schedule, knowing that we have three episodes to go, how in the world do we fit in in the next three episodes? How do we, I mean, let me this way. I would assume that we are not seeing Ahsoka again for the rest of the season. Okay, fine. Whether that is set up for her own show or season three or whatever it might be, that's a theory discussion that I suspect we're going to have shortly. But we have, you know, we have the whole Darksaber, Bo-Katan, you know, uh, Moff, Gideon, storyline that that one would suspect we're going to circle back to we have dark troopers you know where where in the world could things be headed add to that that now presumably mando's next stop whether he reaches there or not whether there's a tangent or not he's going to be going to um to the planet tython so we have the search for new jedi we have moff gideon we have you know our our friends back in mud city where could things go next and what are we going to do this season versus some other story at some other time yeah there's a lot to potentially cover and then to tantalize and and leave you wanting and waiting for more and i just wonder where that line's going to be drawn so let's talk about tython Tython is a deep cut reference to the lore of the Jedi now canonized uh, for live action, never even having been mentioned before in, in the cartoon versions um, of an original Jedi temple. Um, so this seeing stone and the speculation there of choosing his path that that grogu may and that's not to to speak like yoda does (laughs) but um you know what jedi he might reach out to ahsoka having been covered here so let's go through the the possible suspects well i mean the first one that comes to mind is the (laughs) the the (laughs) biggest of all and the one that you mentioned last week i mean dare we have dare we have at the end of episode 208 when they finally make their way to tython having been uh stopped on, on the journey there one perhaps could assume uh, in the next two episodes with a I tracking mean, device stuck to uh the razor crest right i mean yeah deeply embedded <laughs> the, there's that pressure as well um i mean do we dare wonder does luke skywalker show up is is a season 2 luke cameo as opposed to an end of series luke cameo make the most sense and again where you know you mentioned before john favreau wanting to do this detached tale that takes place in a galaxy far far away a long time ago how how big do you continue to swing in a season in which we've been given the live action appearance of Ahsoka, the live action appearance of Dark Troopers, not an action just yet, the live action appearance of Bo-Katan, uh, the reemergence of Boba Fett. You didn't even mention that right, for your right. last three episodes <laughs> here. Okay. So basically in the next three episodes, uh, they get to Tython, Boba Fett shows up, the Empire shows up, the Darksaber is used in a battle with uh, the Beskar spear. 
uh, Luke shows up, uh, Ezra Bridger shows up, Grand Admiral Thrawn shows up, like all these things can't happen. How do you meet them out in a way that is both satisfying and you're not doing three movies over the next three episodes? It does make your mind whirl. Um, Add to that the fact that the way current Star Wars is being built, uh, it's being built at a much slower pace than over on the Star Trek side. So, you know, some of the Star Trek discussions that we have, how much of what we saw this past week, not literally, but how much of the most recent episode or next week's episode, it may set up the spin-off series that they are working on that, that would have been out sooner if not for COVID. But how much of that is right around the corner story-wise, even if production-wise, it's a year away. Um, we know that, you know, we know that of the other Star Wars Disney Plus TV shows being worked on, uh, the Cassian Andor one kind of pre-production is happening, um, but that's that, to my mind, has yet to kind of fully launch, right. COVID being a big factor. The Obi-Wan Kenobi series taking place at a different time uh, than, than this in, in terms of the, the, the timeline. Also, that was pre-COVID put on pause as they dealt with script uh, issues, nay, problems, question mark. But I mean, point being, we can speculate, are they setting up to, you know, are they going to announce an Ahsoka show? If they are, that too has been impacted by COVID. So it's not like we can look forward to that this summer and then Mandalorian season three now gets pushed to December or January, you know, to, to December of next year, not November. It's like, could, are there going to, at a certain point, doubtless be the novels and the comics and those sort of things? Sure. But there's not that quick march to it to set up, hey, there's this new thing. Now we're going to write the novel about the crew before they got disbanded at the beginning of the show. That sort of thing. Yeah. And to think, Matt, that Disney Plus has established The Mandalorian on a streaming service as appointment television. You know, every Friday, boom. You're on it. Like I said, you know, three o'clock in the morning, I'm watching it, whether it's a work day or not. Uh, but yeah, like considering that you'll have a third season and what do you reserve for there? And even then the idea that there may have been a backdoor agreement for Rosario Dawson and maybe even Katie Sackoff. OK, you'll have this Ahsoka TV show or miniseries like they're doing with Obi-Wan um, remains to be seen. I want to talk a little bit about the, I cannot train you trope. And is this a thing or much like, well, the force is a uh, energy field that binds all living things. What do you think? I think that any, Jedi who was around for the the dissolution of the Republic and anybody who knows that uh, as stewards of the Force, they were blind to um, Palpatine's rise. They were blind to the fact that um, one of the most powerful Jedi ever, if one goes by the M count in Anakin Skywalker, absolutely led to the direct um, destruction of the Jedi, you know, the, <laughs> need I say anything more than the younglings, Pete? Um, all of that destruction that essentially was in-house and on their watch, 
I think it is completely understandable as to why any remaining Jedi would would be so careful with the education um, of of other Jedi. We saw that hesitancy in Yoda. We see it now in Ahsoka. And uh, timeline-wise, not yet in terms of the timeline, but in our viewing past, you can also see the failure of, uh, of Schoolmaster Luke in that he, too... Um, did not properly train, um, you know, Ben, and, and led to the the rise of Kylo Ren and kind of this this cyclical in the way Star Wars does it, but this cyclical, you know, Darth Vader 2.0. The Jedi have an education problem, and the Jedi, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's only recent in the last. Damn that, Master Devos. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. This might only be a problem in the last thirty or forty years of Star Wars time. Uh, you know, uh, in, in their timeline, but uh, it's bad enough to lead to the destruction, you know, to, to lead to the rise of the Empire, the not catching of the biggest threat to to face the Republic uh, in thousands and thousands of years, uh, and the the death of most Jedi, you know, and, and then the rise of the two biggest strong men that the galaxy has seen uh, in in recent memory, in Darth Vader and Kylo Ren. So that makes Obi-Wan Kenobi the only canonical post-Clone Wars master to take on a student willingly with Luke. Uh, Yoda didn't want Luke. Um, That Ahsoka here is turning Grogu away because of his seeming attachment to Din Djarin that later Luke Skywalker will, you know, turn Rey away before ultimately deciding to train her. And and yes, they all change their minds. They all do it. That is the arc. Really kind of sets up, now that Grogu's been turned away, this idea, whether it's the next episode, whether it's by the end of the season, that they arrive at Tython, that he uses the seeing stone. What what could that even be like? And then if it's not Luke, if it is an Ezra Bridger, he of Star Wars Rebels last seen with Grand Admiral Thrawn disappearing into hyperspace conceivably also some kind of nether realm of the force that he's had interaction with that their fates are intertwined Ezra and Thrawn. So we could be getting a twofer Matt in terms of that. So perhaps the next three episodes lay out this way, Ezra Thrawn Luke. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's not outside the realm of story possibility. Again, there is just that hesitancy you know, but Favreau said he's taking the the less the least played with toys in the toy chest. He's he's a little, uh, and I'll project here. I'm not. This is not me taking a ding at Favreau, but you know, he's a little tired of his his own. You know, Luke and Leia and Han and Chewie uh, adventures that he has with those toys on his bedspread. So now he's taking some of the ones from the bottom of the toy chest and finding new stuff there. Um, to what degree does Favreau, uh, again, kind of as the alpha male of the show, to what degree does he say, all right, we've had all these great kind of canonical connections. Now let's get back to, you know, Clint Eastwood, but in armor, uh, going on Space Western. Um, 
I mean, Pete, maybe we are overlooking the obvious. Maybe there's going to be the announcement, particularly out of these star, you know, the Star Wars camp that is so good at keeping secrets. Maybe we're told, surprise, coming this spring, the already completed what new season of rebels or you, you you give it a new name and it's the uh, ahsoka versus thrawn you know whatever it is it might just pick up from this point and it's animated and you've been able to get it in under the radar that i mean i, I wouldn't rule that out as a possibility but i don't know these, Pete, these are good problems to have whether we have a full a full a full fire of all these characters in the next three episodes or whether that's part of the four to five season plan that has been referenced for this show uh, or spinoffs. I mean, these are all, these are all positives. When you consider that the seventh at one point abandoned season of clone wars has now since streamed on Disney plus starting last spring that returns to Ahsoka that uh, reincorporates Bo-Katan, and now you've had both those characters debut in live action. Uh, there is some chatter that there may be a guy who could be playing Ezra. We'll have to see. Unless, like you mentioned, with, you know, there's the likely toys that you go to, and then there's the ones way the bottom of the toy box that here's alien jedi you've never heard of before that's going to show up and train uh grogu i mean he has to remain part of the fabric of the show even if it's the looming abduction for his powers for his blood by the empire by moff gideon right yeah, and that makes me think, I mean, here, here's a possibility maybe for the way this season ends and, and how we get into season three. Um, maybe that call is put out for, uh, you, you know, for a Jedi from the planet, uh, from the planet uh, Typhon, and maybe we get the reveal of a brand new character, because you really have me thinking here, all right, the, the Din Djarin is a new character, but it's... We know the origin in terms of it's Boba Fett, but we're not going to call him Boba Fett. He's my own guy, even though I'm playing with the Boba Fett figurine. Maybe I've gone so far as to spray paint it in my Favreau mindset childhood, you know. But but there's a certain familiarity, a certain lack of newness. Could you know? Could this and even with with the child being this cultural thing? All right, he's cute because he's Baby Yoda, and if you know about Star Wars, it's you know it's it's Baby Yoda and, and so on and so forth. Is there the reveal only, at the end of... Only narcs call him the child, right? <laughs> uh, well, uh, Pete, I'm just trying to... <laughs> I, I'm just trying to, uh, to, to do as Disney wants. Um, but, I mean, do you get the reveal of a brand new character, somebody who's going to be, you know, this generation's... Whatever the landmark Star Wars character is for you, um, but to be that person, I would propose, Pete given as how this season has uh, has featured three strong women, one of which we, we spent a lot of time in the last podcast uh, pondering if the actress uh, will stay around long in, in the Star Wars orbit. But here's what I'm going to propose, Pete. End of this season, you get the call answered, brand new character, brand new female character. Um, 
and somebody who, of course, would not be taking away from the power of Bo-Katan, the power of Ahsoka Tano, but maybe, you know, again, it's the opportunity for Favreau and company to really stamp, you know, to, to stamp a new level of newness on things. So we agree that the show cannot have uh, Grogu not in it, right? Yes, and I think the show has already figured out this season how to have Grogu not in the scenes that are not appropriate. Like, he's going to stay here, or he's going to stay there, because this is a high-action scene, and we don't want Mando to be worried about the pouch, or we don't want Mando to be worried, oh, we just stuck him with, you know, with Townsman, uh, you know, Asian Townsman in this episode. No, no, he's just going to stay unseen at the ship that we declare is is, is ever uh, safe. Um, but yeah, I can't... Uh, so how about this, Pete, just to take the thought fully? Jedi trainer shows up awesome brand new character maybe that person now joins the main cast that's now maybe a right. character who's going to be in most of the episodes you know you might have the one where oh jedi master so-and-so is at the salt flats today and our our adventure is going to take place back in town but i think that the traveling group of one that became two I'm proposing for season three that it becomes a three-person group with that Jedi Master. Or could it exist in such a way? So the the trope snaps back. Someone will connect with Grogu through the Force and take him on as a student. Does this person train him traditionally? Like, we're going to go off into the swamp on the island uh, wherever it is that you do the training, or could it be you must take him here and he must do this, that the the training could become part of the missions, the adventures that the Mandalorian goes on, kind of like homework. I think both of those are possibilities, and I'll add a third, and again, for people who listen to our Star Trek podcast, kind of it's weird how there's a convergence of the two stars here. Um, maybe you can achieve that training with a with a, a modest jump in time. You know, six months later, all right, I will leave him here and go on my own stuff. And you go, no, they just written the child out of the show. The next okay. episode, it's six months later, and Mando is back and says, whoa, look at that. Now he, I don't know how much of the puppet aesthetic you want to give up, but uh, look, now from his rather sedentary state look he has all these greater powers or whatever it might be it is interesting to ponder what's the future of the show when what's the future of the show with a less childlike grogu and and that tension of wanting to keep him in the show and all of that um i guess another solution is oh no he's been stolen season three the search to find him and it's going to take you four or five episodes to get reunited each episode fraught with the tension of you know oh no they're keeping me from what i want which is grogu much as much pete how we've heard you know we have we have our our anonymous pal the author who complains oh no they told us go straight to find a Jedi, and now there's all this stuff that, that distracts him. I don't understand why drama works the way drama works. Um, it could be, he's just over there. We're, we're, next episode, the race to rescue him. Uh, except, uh, 
an IG unit is chasing Mando, except he's fallen in the water again, except, 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 to kind of delay us and tantalize us. Well, let me propose one of the ways forward that keeps the child in the show each week. What if when he gets to the seeing stone, he reaches out and touches Moff Gideon? Um, that would be quite the twist. And again, I'm, I just keep, I'm literally looking at the schedule and I'm literally aware that on Friday, December 18th, we are out of this season and we don't get more season until hopefully next fall, assuming that they've been able to resume some level of safe production, even as California COVID numbers rise. Um, so could that be a confluence of oh and moff gideon's already on the way because of the tracking beacon that certainly does work um i don't know pete it's almost too terrible to consider but spoiler pete is speaking so i must i must listen to the visions of the spoiler spoiler pete force um giancarlo esposito gave an interview after the fourth episode to entertainment weekly monthly at which point he talks about a third season so you have to wonder does he get away with grogu does he attempt to train grogu we've never really seen it from the other end we've never seen the idea of a a dark side training I, i mean you've had some stuff with with darth maul and even then you know the the more interesting happens via the clone wars via star wars rebels and you know that animated um and and therefore a lesser audience that's not a crack on animation having watched all those uh episodes and and love them they have a a place in my library but that could be a really interesting way to go you know the search for the child as mando continues the search for him that these lessons are being had you know the the notion of him being stubborn the notion of him being attached the notion of him taken away from mando and how that might tap into his anger we've seen grogu choke out uh, cara dune <laughs> not realizing wait, you know, Kara is my friend, don't do that. The idea that this 50-year-old child could be manipulated, distorted into something else, I think is a very tantalizing and, you know, far more heartbreaking than breaking them up story point. You get the best of, well, he stays on the show, and what is the conflict that every Jedi ultimately uh, comes up against choosing the path, the lore of the dark side. I mean, you could certainly be onto something there, and that does tick a lot of the boxes in terms of keeping Grogu in the story, keeping uh, the the forces of evil present in the story, and things of that sort. So, uh, <laughs> again, it's terrible to consider, but I think that that's one to watch for in these remaining three episodes. So Mando's got a new piece now with this Beskar staff that repels lightsabers, darksaber, Beskar staff. That's coming up. 
yeah, I think you've hit the nail 100% on the head there that the armor is a defensive weapon. Now he has the Beskar, which is offensive. We've seen it in action. Uh, and, I mean, to me, that's the only logical outcome. That's why he has it. I mean, oh, it's all well and good. It's, it belongs with the Mandalorians. I, I don't know at this point, particularly since the show is kind of untethered from the, the quest of season two, bring the child to uh to uh another jedi uh, yeah we're kind of sort of on that headed to the the ruined jedi temple and all that but i mean it's so there that he has the weapon uh, moff Gideon is out there as the primary antagonist he can show up at any time courtesy of that tracking beacon almost as if they inserted the tracking beacon for a point where all right well what does the show do next i don't know we'll just wander on to the next jedi task oh wait now there's a star destroyer in our way it it, it it really, to my mind, it does suggest that we get Moff Gideon and we get the return of the Empire sooner than not, perhaps even next week. The HK droids, there's one very visible shot from the side, faded but still there. The insignia of the Seventh Fleet, that being Grand Admiral Thrawn's fleet. I think that's probably just good design there. I mean, since we're going to have later in the episode but of course in production the knowledge of the fact that she uh the magistrate is connected to to thrawn the fact that there's a back and forth of uh of technology and resources that certainly makes sense who plays grand admiral thrawn who's your who's your pick i mean the one that keeps coming to mind um and this is a, a bit of fan casting that's several years old at this point but benedict cumberbatch comes to mind that said, I don't know that you need a huge name. I think you need the right person. And we've seen in this show time and time again weird casting choices that end up being perfect. You know, Saturday Night Live alum Horatio Sands, now this beloved character who's shown up in two episodes in Mithril. Um, you have... Um, Diana Lee Insanto, as you said, Pete, uh, Bruce Lee's uh, goddaughter, she's somebody who primarily is known as a stunt person and a stunt coordinator and a, a martial artist who trains others. Uh, I believe there was the phrase, um, you know, martial artist to the stars or something like that. So again, my point is, you look at her resume, it goes all the way back to the late 80s. Okay, in Moonlighting, she was acting and, and she was doing stunts in barbed wire and things like that. Um, again, the point being, they hired somebody who whose performance was fantastic in this. Also, a stunt performer who you can just you know have them be on camera without the Ahsoka headdress and the makeup and all that. Somebody to kind of read as fully human in these scenes, not need to swap out uh, a stunt person of uh, you know of their own to play the magistrate. Um, so maybe you go out and get somebody for Thrawn who is just. You know, it's an actor you haven't heard much of, but it happens to just be the perfect person in that makeup that has the glowering um, look to them. But who knows? I mean, we have, you know, the magistrate has more of a name than the Titus Welliver Imperial Captain from a couple episodes ago. So could you go big and get somebody, you know, of, of that? Um, mid-level as is a Titus Welliver you certainly could as is with all due respect a Carl Weathers somebody who's a big name but not it's not you know you got Brad Pitt you got you know uh, uh, 
you know, Jared Leto, whatever it might be. Again, it could be from the smallest unnamed name to somebody who's who's a huge name. That's implying, of course, we see it this season or even on this show as could be a fulcrum, Matt. I know you got that. Oh, I did. To to another spinoff. I would tend to agree with you. You know, the Cumberbatch that might have anchored a film or, you know, a Fassbender, that type of thing. Um, yeah. So you, you wonder how they might do it. And then, you know, for those that may not be aware, Grand Admiral Thrawn being the only alien canonically that the emperor ever gave a full position of, of leadership to as this blue skinned, uh, red eyed alien. Um, something that was part of the novels and then became addressed in uh, in the show, in Star Wars Rebels. So that's a really interesting aspect to consider with that. Let's talk about Grogu, this idea that he was trained by many Jedi Masters at the temple at Coruscant. So it begs a question, did he know Ahsoka or is it like, you know, having to know every child that's in a school, <laughs> which realistically doesn't make a lot of sense. Who might have trained him? Who might have saved him? And then this idea, and again, because she's essentially translating, Ahsoka is his memory goes dark. I mean, he was in that pod. Was he in some sort of sleep, hibernation, trance, etc., where where that happens? Um, I would buy the fact that Ahsoka and Grogu would not have crossed paths much given her, um, you know, given, given when she was a Padawan and, um, when the Clone Wars were, I mean, if there's a, all it would take is a little bit of a, a, of an age difference and indeed an age difference they have, um, just enough where, you know, she, she was in. You know, whatever. She was in uh, Jedi Kindergarten while Grogu was in Jedi Preschool and, and their paths never really crossed. And then quickly she was pressed into action uh, in the Clone Wars and quickly elevated into um, perhaps not the most, the, the, the innermost circles of power, but quickly, you know, hobnobbing with some of the highest highs in the, in the Republic. He's so older that, than she is. Um, yeah, true. But I mean developmentally there is that question like did he you know did did he did he ever make it out of jedi elementary school um just because of how his species ages versus ahsoka might have been rushed through because she was so uh energetic and you know especially as the clone war uh clone wars increased you know it was quick let's let's advance her through quickly because we need more more jedi out there um bottom line is i can buy them not crossing paths as for the you know and then his memory goes dark i'm going to go go with a real basic writerly response there um and it's it's a response that's not a criticism it's okay uh but i think they did not have an answer for that um because you somehow need to say etc 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 now get to the present day of the show or or get to the first episode of the show that sort of thing so I don't know that there's a deep 
answer in a hidden folder somewhere. I think it's just this is a blank spot that we can return to if we need to. As you said, Pete, it could have been a trance. It could have been, you know, any one of a number of things that you can just kind of do a story hand wave at. Um, You know, his species naturally from ages 11 to 18 goes into a, a hibernation thing. Okay, that's weird, but you can't tell me no because it's a it's a weird alien species. Um, so I think whatever it is is kind of like a you know as I said it's it's like a, a da 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 and then and then he shows up in this story. His force powers potentially fading. I mean, you want to keep, and the show works best when you keep uh, the Mandalorian and Grogu together. You know, it's the lone wolf and the cub, but that his powers might fade away yet could still be there latently in a, in a moment of, you know, the, the flamethrower or, you know, Cara Dune uh, winning at arm wrestling or whatever it might be. I mean, it is a potential path. He could go to the seeing stone and nobody answers, right? Or maybe Jar Jar does. (laughs) Well, that would be a story choice if Jar Jar comes back, old Jar Jar. Um, yes, that is certainly a possibility, and I think by implication we've seen that with Luke and Leia in that they kind of didn't know they had powers until they were trained, until they were taught how to focus it. Um, so I think that I think that with with that backward um, charting, I think yes, that is an option as well. I think it's one that makes. It makes story sense as an option for for Ahsoka. Like you're not you're not bound to help this this creature focus their powers. Otherwise, they will become a Sith Lord. It's just if you leave it alone, it will kind of go away. Which also seems like a very Jedi thing. Even though the Jedi, as I said before, did make a few errors in judgment back towards the end of the old uh, the the old Republic era. There, not the old Republic, I should say, just the end of the the former Republic said we'd give uh, credit to a leak uh, earlier. So someone had actually taken to Reddit uh, a user by the name of, this is interesting, Matt, given what's since transpired on The Mandalorian, Denim Dan, you know, like jeans guy in Mm. The Mandalorian in the previous episode that's since been scrubbed out. Uh, And for those of you that are unaware, and it's rapidly become an internet meme, but just like the Starbucks cup in season seven of Game of Thrones, you know, now relegated to the the stuff of history scrubbed from existence, uh, that this user went to um, Reddit and predicted, said that he knew uh, somebody uh, associated with the production and not knowing how, but that the child would get a name and it would be Grogu, spelled as it is used in the show, and was routinely shouted down. <laughs> That's a dumb name. It had never happened. Uh, and now is right. I mean, it's such an unusual name. I can't imagine. I can't imagine it being anything other than um, a, a truthful piece of information you know i mean obviously the info measured out but but 
I imagine this person must have some sort of connection to the production. Uh, that combination of letters, I mean, I, to my knowledge, there's no kind of... This isn't the Yaddle to Yoda, right? It's not that that sort of, like, similarity there. So, uh, Pete Denim Dan might be somebody to follow there on uh, on Reddit. I would also be concerned for Denim, Denim Dan's friend, because this is such an airtight yeah. production. I mean, to the point that, in retrospect for season one... It, it was discussed, but it was not widely picked up that six months before the premiere of of, of uh, the first season of Mandalorian, that um, it was let slip that oh he he's, he's uh, his name is Din Djarin. and it just kind of went by the wayside because it I mean maybe the buzz on the show was not this big cultural thing at the time, but it, it's there. I think it was an Entertainment Weekly monthly video interview. Um, same thing with uh, Gina Carano. I believe spelling out, you know, like her name is Kara Cynthia Dune. She's a former rebel shock trooper. I know that much of that information was out several months before, but I remember during the first season going back and looking and being like, oh my goodness, she shared a whole lot that wasn't out there as part of the normal discussion. So, um, uh, yeah, I'd be worried. I'd be worried about that leak getting plugged by virtue of Lucasfilm security and a banker's box and an escort to the <laughs> gate. Um, and, hey, maybe DreamWorks animation will hire you, computer animation guy, because you're probably not headed toward Disney animation uh, or Industrial Lights and Magic. Uh, so, bye-bye. All right, let's extend that antenna. Pete, looking at our Twitter poll here, final results have just come in. Uh, the choices, one star, Dang Lang, got 0%. Two stars, this is the yay, question mark, got 2.5% by people who are heartless. Three stars, Gong Gong, got 6.2%. And then four stars, Amazing Ahsoka, got 91.4%. Pete, my only regret that I did not write Amazing with an H. You know, amazing Ahsoka, <laughs> um, but that seems not to uh, not to slow down anybody who who voted for the uh, the near ninety two percent there. Some responses we heard from James. That's at Big Killin. Uh, I don't know if anyone has ever had more fun joining the Star Wars universe than Rosario Dawson. Seeing Ahsoka come to life was a new high for Star Wars. The Western aesthetic really worked. Thrawn name drop was unexpected. Does Ahsoka get her own series, or does Thrawn join this show? I think, Pete, as we've discussed, both are possibilities. Uh, next up, Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Polo in 1983. Uh, Andre Yeager, of course, somebody, if you meet him on the main street, uh, hands on your hips. He might outdraw you. Uh, this episode... All we wanted and needed. Got the child's history, name, and of course the introduction of Ahsoka. I couldn't be more happy. Great job on all fronts. We heard from Flanours Unite. That's at So Know This, K-N-O-W. Let's just say the Force guided the episode. Uh, Aaron, that's A-I-R-Y-N-79 on Twitter. Love it. We heard from Ben Larson. That's Larson Ben on Twitter. That might have taken the mantle of my favorite episode of the series, and that was before they dropped the Thrawn bomb on me. Um, Pete, if only we need to have hashtag Thrawn bomb. We need to respell bomb there. Ben did yes. not, but I think Thrawn bomb <laughs> needs to be a thing. Uh, Rosario Dawson. Thrawn's was on. <laughs> Rosario Dawson was spot on. 
Uh, that was a tough task, stepping into a role like that, bringing an animated character to life, but she killed it. We heard from Spider-Ham Lincoln, that's at TessLC139. How could I not give it four stars? The show keeps getting better with age. Loved Ahsoka. Loved meeting Grogu again for the first time. Stranger Helps Saves Villagers. Plot worked well within this episode. Michael Bean, Beskar Staff, Thrawn Mention, thumbs up. Uh, now, Pete, Spider-Ham Lincoln had said, how could I not give it uh, four stars? Uh, not in reply to this, but in kind of a... a, a in a way of replying to it, ShuttlePod2, that's at ShuttlePod2, says five stars for me and then gives five heart emojis. Uh, and then last but certainly not least, we heard from Funnest Frontier, Star Trek podcast, that's at Dex Lower. I liked this week's episode, but Ahsoka kept feeling like a cartoon character. I know she's from one of the cartoons, so maybe that's it. I can't put my finger on what it was about her. I think I need to see more. Uh, I would agree, Pete. Let's all see more live-action Ahsoka uh, ASAP. And ASAP might be 10 to 12 months away, but let's make it happen. Ironic that the podcast of an animated show says that a live-action character seems like an animated character where she began life. So circle uh, Snake eating its tail a little bit there. Over to Facebook, Matt, where Wes Lockhart writes in, just love these guys. I feel more informed after listening and a new take on what I just saw. Between this and Discovery, of course, Wes is referring to Star Trek Discovery that we're podcasting season three of right now simultaneously. I can't get enough sometimes. Well, certainly kind words there. And uh, it's it's been a busy uh, November. It's going to be a busier December with the different things that we're podcasting. But Pete, it's, it's never going to be as good as simultaneous Star Wars TV show and Star Trek TV show. Um, I'm looking ahead even to, to February. I'm excited for WandaVision. I know in February, the only thing on the radar is WandaVision. And that, that relaxation will be nice. But I think we're going to look back to simultaneous Star Wars and Star Trek and just say, you know, my goodness, what a, what a treat. Speaking of treats, Pete, what other treats do you have from Facebook? Steve Adams writes in this. This was the episode of The Mandalorian I think we have all been waiting for. Ahsoka Tano was realized perfectly. Finally learning Grogu's name was a nice little payoff. Also seeing the Beskar steals resistance to lightsabers explains why it is so valuable and sought after. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is the first time we have seen something a lightsaber cannot cut. Uh, more great fight sequences, as we have come to expect. Getting Thrawn name-dropped was the icing on the cake. I cannot imagine that this is the only time we will see Rosario Dawson, and this felt like a perfect setup for a spinoff series for Tano. Sign me up for that right now. And to top off this amazing episode, we still have three more episodes in this fantastic, he spelled it correctly, Matt, with the PH, season. The anticipation for each new episode grows greater each week. I can't wait to see how this season plays out. Uh, I like that he's looking at the glass as half full. Uh, it's not that we only have three episodes left, but that there are three episodes of epic storytelling ahead of us. So I appreciate that optimism there. Pete, as for uh, what lightsabers can and cannot cut through, I will defer to you. So 
we've seen in the films uh so the the Emperor's guards had spears. There are deleted scenes where those are wielded and they're more like force pikes. But um, the weapons that the Praetorian guards uh, had in um, The Last Jedi uh, seem to ward off lightsabers. Are they composed of Beskar? Well, Beskar being a retconned idea for this series i guess they were right um yes i think that all would that all would track and i think it's also a great capture of you know there there are times as star wars unfolds there's times that we say oh they have left gaping holes in the story here star wars is set up not necessarily for the writer of this movie the scope of this tv show the you know whatever it might be it's not necessarily that they say i'm leaving that spot because i want to then go back and have the answer to this or the answer to that but star wars is built so you have those holes and somebody else comes along later and says here's my comic here's my tv show here's my movie here's my audio production whatever it is here's my role-playing game answer to this thing that people are still interested in we also have the um the riot control baton matt's favorite star wars weapon of all time that uh fought a lightsaber in uh, the force awakens yeah there is that too the the baton wielded by posy guy he poses real good. Are you aware of the controversy? Some some Joe Schmo attempted to say he was that stuntman and actually got shouted down by the actual stuntman. That's funny. That is certainly well-deserving. Pete, it's proof that the cream always rises to the top. The best of the best get their say last. And Pete, now we hear... We've talked a lot about... You know, Moff Gideon, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Here is the kindly Grand Moff Admiral himself, Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 5. What a treat this episode. A lot of very nice, very well choreographed fight scenes in this episode. Really impressive. When I saw these lips of Ahsoka Tano and these cheekbones, I thought, I know these. And of course, it's Rosario Dawson, who actually is one of my favorite secondary characters from the Marvel Universe, as Nurse Claire Temple from Luke Cage, as well as Daredevil. And I'm now at Season 4, Episode 15 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then there is a pause. So now I'm going to watch for the first time Iron Fist, the first season. And this is according to the Marvel Universe advised watch order of series and movies. And it seems that Rosario Dawson will be in that as well. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Second cool thing is that we now know that the child, always calling this creature the child or Baby Yoda, is called Grogu. And that he is not Baby Yoda. That he really is a being of the same species, but it's not Yoda. 
Confirmed now by Asoko Tana. My statement of last week is true again, that he is on a kind of quest and has to conquer all kinds of steps in between, like in a computer game. The only difference with this in comparison to the previous episode is that he offered himself now to help. But nonetheless, it was again a deal to get a step further, and he thought it would be the final step, namely leaving the child with Ahsoka Tano. Okay, on its way to the planet Titan for a next adventure. And of course we wonder if Ahsoka Tano got out of the magistrate Morgan Elspeth the name or the whereabouts actually of Grand Admiral Thrawn. A figure I don't know actually. Is he the same as Moff Gideon? Probably not. As said before, I'm not so good in Star Wars canon. That was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. So Pete, Fred feeling the power of the Disney Force here, uh, having deep appreciation for Rosario Dawson's Night Nurse character from the Marvel Netflix uh, shows. Pete, in a weird confluence of events, uh, today, the day, I believe, um, today, the two-year anniversary of... uh, Daredevil being officially cancelled, and there's this speculation that today is the day also that the rights revert to Disney, the the live-action rights away from Netflix, blah, blah, blah. Whether something will happen today or not, I don't know, but certainly uh, Fred appreciating Rosario Dawson in her many acting, uh, acting roles. Yeah, and apologies, I guess, in progress for taking in Iron Fist, the second worst mcu tv show we've done in humans far and away being the the worst and he'll get to that eventually too sadly um we've had ming na wen matt of agents of shield and the mandalorian we've now had rosario dawson of daredevil and jessica jones luke cage and now uh iron fist and the mandalorian so I guess the question is this, when does Rosario Dawson get uh, Disney princess legend status as well? Uh, That's a good question. How about when one can reliably uh, have a D23 convention again, then then two, perhaps Rosario Dawson will be added to, to Disney legend status. Pete, speaking of other legends, Fred saying that he's a bit unfamiliar with uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. I guess from one admiral to another. Uh, what would the easiest entry point be for Fred and others to learn more about Thrawn? Definitely Star Wars Rebels. And if my memory serves, it's an introduction in the third season, although it might be very late in the second. Um, but beyond that, of course, the wonderful timothy zahn books of the early 90s the heir to the empire trilogy there's since been later ones as i mentioned before those i have not read uh those considered canonical where the um the original trilogy has been again in that legends uh area to this point but yeah star wars rebels would would be the one this is filoni and uh, that was his creation there. Yeah, and I would just reiterate, if Fred is looking for the visual 
and the official, like, you know, if he wants to watch a thing that is canonical, definitely uh, Thrawn's appearances on Rebels. If you're looking to read something that no longer is official and you have not read Fred and anyone, if you've not read the the Thrawn trilogy, also called the Zahn trilogy, uh, those books, Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and The Last Command. I mean, in the early 90s, they were the the only continuation of Star Wars, and they just felt so exciting. They became this this spark that led to um, further TV, uh, not TV stuff, uh, further kind of book stuff. The um, Pete, what was the what was the everything but the movie book and comic book series with the green guy? Shadows of the Empire. Yeah, Shadows of the Empire, which then was it, it was a book and comic book series, but it was this attempt to can we do everything but the movie and then slowly working your way up to the the special editions then the new star wars and whatnot all of that starts with uh heir to the empire and and the beginning of the Thrawn trilogy so great stuff there pete how can people keep the conversation going to talk more star wars for these remaining three weeks find me on twitter at peter p-i-e T-E-R-J-K-L-A-R-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-11,707 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are FantasticGeek as well. But wait, there's more. Facebook.com slash FantasticGeek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed know that we will be back next Saturday to talk Discovery Episode 308. Uh, and of course, we'll be back next Sunday slash Monday uh, to talk the sixth episode of this season of The Mandalorian. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. Where is your master? <laughs> <laughs>